Hello, my name is Andrew Laposha, and welcome to the Twilight Years. On today's episode, we will be discussing the death and final years of movie star Cary Grant. Cary Grant is one of the most beloved movie stars of all time. He began his career in the 1930s where he gained fame by playing the lead in romantic and screwball comedies. He also played drama very well, receiving two Academy Award nominations, though he never won. He also had a great relationship with Alfred Hitchcock, starring in several of his classic thrillers. Even to this day, Cary Grant is looked at as one of the greats. He was handsome and suave. Women wanted him, even well into his old age. Cary retired from making movies in 1966 when his daughter Jennifer was born. Cary said he wanted to focus on raising her to provide a sense of permanency and stability in her life. He also seemed to grow tired of the movie business. Whenever a script came his way, he was rarely impressed. He once remarked, I could have gone on acting and played a grandfather or a bum, but I discovered more important things in life. Throughout the 70s, Cary received many film offers with hopes that he could be lured out of retirement. He had once hinted that if the right script came along, he'd consider returning to acting. At one point, MGM wanted to remake the classic film Grand Hotel and were hoping they could cast Cary in a role. Warren Beatty was determined to get him for a role in the movie Heaven Can Wait, which ended up going to James Mason. He even turned down roles that eventually went to much younger actors. George Barry offered him a role in the movie A Touch of Class, which was given to George Siegel. Carey later joked that he would have played the role if he was 50 years younger. Director Peter Bogdanovich offered Carey the lead role opposite Barbara Streisand in the movie What's Up, Doc, which paid homage to the types of screwball comedies he played early in his career. When Carey said no, that part went to Ryan O'Neill. Carey would tell friends that the only role he could play were those of old men in wheelchairs, and he had no desire to do those kinds of roles. In 1975, Carey licensed the broadcast rights to six of his movies to the television distribution company National Telefilm Associates, selling them for $200 million plus royalties. Carey did this because he wanted to watch them in private without having to screen them in the projection room of his home. Doing this upset Jennifer. One time she went up to the screen and tried to slap Deborah Kerr, telling her, Stop kissing my daddy. With some of his movies now being shown on television, he gained a whole new audience of young fans. Throughout his life, Carey dated many women who were decades younger than him. In 1974, he met a British-born Hollywood reporter named Maureen Donaldson who had been assigned to interview Carey. The two of them began dating. In fact, Carey had Maureen pick up and deliver Jennifer to his ex-wife, actress Diane Cannon, so that he didn't have to come face-to-face -face with her. In fact, Carey considered suing Diane for greater custody of Jennifer, thinking it would help his chances if he had a steady girlfriend. For the next few years, Carey and Maureen were together for everything. There was always gossip that the two would marry. However, Carey said he had no plans to marry again. This was a deal-breaker for Maureen and eventually led to the end of their relationship. In spring 1977, Carey checked into St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica to undergo surgery to repair a hernia. He used the name Carrie Robbins. However, the fake name fooled nobody and made the public worry that something was wrong. When Carrie left the hospital, there were reporters waiting outside. Carrie told them that they should spend their time looking for a real story. In 1978, Carrie was 74 years old and he began dating a 28-year-old woman named Barbara, who was born in Tanzania and lived in England. Carrie was 15 years older than Barbara's father. He had been the spokesperson for Fabergé, and the two met on a Fabergé junket in the UK. The two started dating, and Carrie traveled to England every month to be with her. 
Whenever he invited her to visit him in Los Angeles, she declined, so Carrie increased the number of European Fabergé junkets. After a year, she finally relented, staying there for three weeks. When Barbara met Jennifer, the two hit it off greatly. At the 1979 Oscars, Laurence Olivier was to be presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award, with Marlon Brando presenting the award. However, Brando backed out at the last minute, and Carrie was called in to replace him. He walked out on stage to a standing ovation, which greatly moved him. That night, Diane Cannon was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and had not been told that her ex-husband would be replacing Marlon Brando that night. Diane was angry. She was even more angry when Carrie brought Barbara to the ceremony and that her and Jennifer seemed to be getting along. After his appearance at the Oscars, there were rumors that Carrie was plotting a return to movies. In fact, there was talk that he accepted an offer to star in the screen adaptation of the novel Nightwork. Carrie repeatedly denied this rumor, but that only sparked more speculation. In May 1979, Carrie's second wife, Barbara Hutton, died of a heart attack with little money to her name. Carrie was too upset to attend the funeral, but he released a statement. Later that year, his friend, Lord Louis Mountbatten, had been assassinated by the Irish Republican Army. Carrie flew to England to attend the funeral, making his last trip to his native homeland. Just a couple of weeks after returning home, one of his co-stars, Mae West, died, but the one that most hit him was Alfred Hitchcock's death. When Hitch died, Carrie went into seclusion, not being seen in public for weeks. On September 30, 1980, comedian Chevy Chase was a guest on Tom Snyder's Tomorrow Show. In the past few years, Chase had starred in a few successful films. With his good looks and comedy skills, many critics were labeling him as the next Cary Grant. When Snyder brought this up to Chase, he quipped, I understand he was a homo. Rumors about Cary's sexuality had been flying around for many years. The next day, Cary filed a lawsuit against Chevy Chase for $10 million on the grounds of slander. Chase's legal team used the defense mechanism of the First Amendment right to free speech as well as satire. Cary and Chase settled out of court, with the end result being Chevy paying him $1 million. Afterwards, Cary publicly stated it was best to just dismiss the whole thing, saying, True or untrue, I'm old enough not to care. On April 15, 1981, Cary and Barbara were married in a small private ceremony at his home. In December of that year, Cary was given the prestigious Kennedy Center honor. At the ceremony, Rex Harrison gave a tribute speech to Cary that ended with him saying he hoped Cary would return to movies, which was met with heavy applause. Later, a reporter asked if Cary would go back to making movies, but he said he was done. The following year, Cary was nominated for an American Film Institute Lifetime Achievement Award, but he said he would only take it if they skipped the televised ceremony. He said that these ceremonies were made as an excuse to sell products, and he already represented Fabergé. However, he did accept an offer to be the guest of honor at an untelevised Friars Club testimonial dinner. Carey was assured that all proceeds would go to charities he supported. In August 1982, Carey's friend Ingrid Bergman died from cancer, and he was inconsolable for weeks. A month later, his friend Princess Grace Kelly of Monaco was tragically killed in a car accident. Carey attended her televised funeral in Monaco and was seen weeping. Carrie intended to live out his last years quietly with Barbara and Jennifer. One night, he was watching the movie On Golden Pond on TV. He angrily turned it off midway because he felt Henry Fonda's elderly character reminded Carrie too much of himself. The next day, Carrie vowed he would live to be 100. One day in 1982, Carrie received a call from comedian Steve Allen. 
Steve had been doing a one-man show where he traveled to college campuses around the country and reminisced about his career. One night, Steve got sick and asked Carrie if he would be willing to fill in for him at a show at De Anza Community College in Cupertino, California. Carrie accepted, and the next night he played a show to a full house of 2,500 students. In the show, he answered audience questions about his life and career. The show was such a success that Carrie toyed with the idea of doing it regularly as a tour. It would be a 90-minute program called A Conversation with Carrie Grant. Carrie had begun his career in vaudeville, playing small towns across America. He wanted to do the same for his show, ignoring big cities like New York and Chicago. He kept the admission price low at $25 per ticket to encourage young people to see him. The tour was a big success, and he played often over the course of the next four years. The audiences for these shows were very diverse, ranging from elderly film buffs to young people discovering his movies for the first time. He also made various other appearances, including a trip to Monaco for the Princess Grace Red Cross Ball. In October 1984, Carey suffered a mild stroke. It was nothing serious, but the doctors advised him to give up touring. Carey refused. On November 28, 1986, Carey and Barbara arrived in Davenport, Iowa, with a show scheduled for the following night at Adler Theater. The next afternoon, the couple walked along the Mississippi River and chatted with passerby who recognized him. At 4 p.m., Carrie and Barbara arrived at the Adler Theater for a rehearsal of that night's show. During rehearsal, Carrie was very particular about details. He talked with a stagehand about how important it was to time his entrance on stage with the end of the film introduction. He was also concerned about the ushers who would handle the microphones for the audience members asking questions. At one point, the event sponsor said, I hope everything goes okay with the show. Carrie replied, what happens, happens. During rehearsal, Carrie said he felt nauseous. Pictures from that day show him looking fairly scruffy. After a while, he began having balancing issues. Carrie apologized for taking up so much rehearsal time and excused himself to his dressing room for a little bit. When he got to the dressing room, he vomited. He was then forced to cancel that night's performance. A stagehand and two police officers carried him to a car to go back to his hotel. Carrie refused to go to the hotel. He thought he just had the stomach flu. When Carrie got back to the hotel, two doctors were called. They contacted his doctor in Los Angeles who said he was having a stroke. His blood pressure was 210 over 130. Carrie said he wanted to go back home to see his doctor there, but he wouldn't have made it if he did. Within 15 minutes, the stroke was causing him to greatly diminish. At 9.15 p.m., an ambulance arrived to take Carrie to St. Luke's Hospital. Carrie only deteriorated more on the ride to the hospital. At one point, a picture was snapped of Carrie on the stretcher, but Barbara was able to cover up his face. Carrie kept whispering, I'm sorry to Barbara. When Carrie arrived at the hospital, he said to Barbara, I love you, Barbara, don't worry. As Carrie was admitted to the hospital, he fell into a coma. He was placed in intensive care where his situation grew even worse. Word had eventually gotten out that his health was failing. Reporters gathered outside the hospital. At one point, the United Press ran a bulletin from CNN in London stating that Carrie was gone, though there was no confirmation from the hospital. But 10 minutes later, it was officially confirmed. Carrie Grant died at 11.22 p.m. at the age of 82. At around 3 a.m., Barbara flew back with Carrie's body on a chartered flight to Los Angeles. When they arrived back, Carrie was cremated by the Neptune Society. A small ceremony was held by Jennifer and Barbara to scatter his ashes. 
In Carrie's will, he left Barbara his house and a trust fund to Jennifer. As per his wishes, there was no funeral or memorial service. Cary Grant has been labeled as the greatest leading man Hollywood has ever known, and that's not an incorrect statement. Cary Grant was beloved by all, and still is to this day. It's safe to say he always will be. Thank you all for listening to The Twilight Years. Please don't forget to subscribe, and if possible, leave me a review. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. The links are included in the description of this episode. Is there anyone you would like to see talked about on this podcast? Let me know and I'll do my best to get to them. Thanks again for listening. My name is Andrew Laposha, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.